Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Thanks very much, Judith, for reading. Please do keep your Bibles open there on page 1007. And I'm going to pray for us before we look at that passage together. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to Mark's Gospel again and continue our series in it, uh, please would we 
meet your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, in your word? Would we um, see who he really is? Would we see um, why he came to earth? And by your spirit, please would you move our hearts to trust in him, to keep believing in him, uh, no matter the situation that we come up in life. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, what a passage we have before us uh, today as we see the sheer power of Jesus Christ. We are introduced to this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and this little girl, daughter, only 12 years old, who has died. And Jesus turns it all around in an instant. Two times in this passage we hear the word immediately. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up. Jesus Christ, someone who is able to heal incurable diseases, who is able to bring people back from the dead, just like that, immediately, immediately. Have you ever seen anything like this? People often uh, talk today about the irrelevance of the Bible, the irrelevance of Christianity for modern life today. Surely there is nothing more relevant than the reality of suffering, the reality of death, and the fact that Jesus Christ in this passage holds out an answer to both of them. Suffering and death are the great levelers. Suffering and death are no respecter of persons. Whether you're a woman here, whether you're Jairus, whether you're prominent, whether you're penniless, that suffering and death come to every human being. You may well be suffering right now. You may come to church right now in pain, relational pain, psychological pain, physical pain, ongoing pain. And if not yourself, I bet you know someone who is going through a really difficult time now, who may be suffering in a very difficult way, a cancer that has spread, a disease that is incurable. I know that some of you have recently come back to a funeral. Dare I say it, some of you may think at times about your own funeral. The reality of suffering, the reality of death, which can make us feel very fearful, very scared, hopeless, helpless, desperate. And here is Jesus Christ offering a solution to it all. There is nothing more relevant than this. Now, before we go into the passage and look at it in detail, I just want to say something about the purpose of these miracles. Because as you see Jesus here with this power to heal an incurable disease with this woman, as you see him bringing this girl back from the dead, you might think, well, look, if Jesus is alive, Jesus is at work in the world today, why don't we see more of that in the church today? Why do Christians still suffer? Why don't we see loved ones being brought back from the dead? Does Jesus really have this sort of power or not? Now, it's worth just pointing out that even back then at the time of Jesus, these sort of miracles were very rare. Across the Gospels, the four Gospels, Jesus only brought back from the dead three people. Jairus' daughter here in Mark, the widow's son in Nain in Luke's Gospel, and his own friend Lazarus in John's Gospel. The funeral parlours were very much still in business back then, the hospitals too. So we shouldn't be surprised if it is still the case today. No, the primary reason for these miracles and the primary reason why the author Mark is these miracles and telling the people about them and his readers about them in, in his gospel is so that we can see who Jesus Christ really is. The identity of Jesus Christ is one of the great themes of the opening chapters in the first half of Mark's gospel. So if you were with us last week, after the calming of the storm, what did the disciples say? Who is this? 
even the wind and waves obey him. Who is this man who can just calm a storm with a word, who can drive out demons with a word, who can heal this incurable disease, who can even bring someone back from the dead? Who is this? And there's only one answer to that question. There's only one person who can do this, and that is God himself, the Son of God. That is the purpose of these miracles, to see who Jesus is. There is no promise in the Bible for miraculous healing today. Jesus can do it. Jesus does do it. There is no promise that it will happen. There is a promise that it will happen at the end of time when he returns. So please, please do not listen to anyone who says that if you're a Christian and you're still suffering, then the problem is because you don't have enough faith. That is absolutely not true. That is not what this passage is about. That is not the purpose of these miracles. Jesus promises every spiritual blessing now, absolutely. And he promises every physical blessing to come. He doesn't promise it now. But if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, whatever you are suffering, whatever you're going through right now, even death itself, you have nothing ultimately to fear. Jesus will bring it all to an end. That's what this passage is about. That's what we're about to see. First up, Jesus' power over disease. And just let me say that this is another one of the gospel's so-called sandwiches. Remember these, where the author Mark sandwiches one story inside another. Sandwiches the story of the woman inside the story of Jairus' daughter. And often it's the heart, the central story, that helps you to understand the outside one. So we'll start there, work our way out. Verse 25 of chapter 5 on page 1007. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. What a terrible situation for this woman to be in. Remember, the author Mark is writing his gospel in a hurry. Do you notice the way he slows the narrative down? gives us all this detail about her life so we can enter in and feel the helplessness of her situation. Twelve years of bleeding. And I don't know about you, I struggle to cope with a bit of man flu for a few days. This woman has been suffering terribly for over a decade. This bleeding that she's going through, probably a uterine hemorrhage, we don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is that under the Mosaic law, this would have meant that she was ritually unclean, symbolically cut off from God's presence and cut off from the community. The doctors can't help, she's tried them all. Her money can't help, she's spent it all. And she finds herself here, not getting better, but through this entire process, only getting worse. This poor poor woman. She's alone. She is isolated. She is out of options. She is hopeless. She is helpless. She is penniless. She is still suffering. And that suffering is only getting worse. Now, can you feel something of the desperation that this woman would be feeling? But then, verse 27, she hears about Jesus. She comes up to Jesus in the crowd touches his cloak because she thinks if I just touch his clothes I will be healed immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering 
Now, what is it about this man, Jesus Christ, that someone can come up to him and just touch his clothes in faith and they are healed instantly? What is it about this man that such holy power and goodness just radiates off from him so he opens his lips and says be quiet still and storms are calmed get out and demons are driven out you just touch him and an incurable disease is cured what is it about him can you imagine what it must have been like to be in his presence The divine goodness, the holy power of Jesus Christ. Look at his reaction in verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, is that not a bit strange to you? That Jesus asked this question, is he not the son of God? Does he not know everything? Does he know straight away who touched him? I think Jesus here is... It's not doing this for his benefit. He is doing it for this person's benefit, for the woman's benefit. He's trying to draw her out, draw her out of the crowd because there's something even greater, something even more important than being healed by Jesus. And that is being known by him and loved by him and accepted by him. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, trembling with fear. Why? Because she's unclean. She's not allowed to touch anyone. She's not allowed to be in public. What has she just done? She's in public and she's just touched someone. My goodness, what is he going to say to me? Will he rebuke me? Will he be angry with me? What will happen to me? Verse 34, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Jesus welcomes her. And he does it with such love and such tenderness. He calls her daughter, not woman. Daughter. A term of love, a a term of intimacy. Think of her isolation. Think of her loneliness. Think of her as being symbolically cut off from God. and And it's all gone now because Jesus accepts her. And if Jesus accepts her, everyone should accept her. Go in peace with God, with others, your faith has healed you. That word healed in the Greek is ambiguous. It could be translated healed or saved. And I think it's deliberately ambiguous to show just the sort of salvation that Jesus brings to people's lives, the healing he ultimately brings, both physically and spiritually and socially. The power of Jesus Christ, his power over disease. The norovirus hit the Jackson family week before last. If you don't know what the norovirus is, you are fortunate. It is a horrible virus. It is violent. It leaves you vomiting and diarrheaing, sometimes at the same time. Enough said about that, the better. Normally takes out the whole Jackson family, all six of us. Mercifully this time it only took out two of us, Jemima and Mummy. Admits Jemima's vomiting and dashing to the toilet. She said, Daddy, will this stop? I said, yes, sweetie, it, you know, it, it will stop. She said, Daddy, what if it doesn't stop? What if it just goes on forever? I said, really, sweetie, you know, normally these things, the norovirus, it's 24 hours, 48 hours, it's one day, it's, it's two day. You know, it's no more than that. 
Um, and then thinking, you know, here's an opportunity to maybe prepare a little bit more for suffering later on in life or at some point. I said, but you know, there are some illnesses, some diseases that go on for a longer time, you know, longer than a couple of days. And in some cases, for some people, you know, the rest of their lives. At this point, Jemima sort of has this quizzical face, look on her face. She goes, well, what? Why would God allow that? And suddenly I really regretted starting to do this, like, you know, teaching lesson. Now I find myself in this heart of this theological debate about suffering. I say, look, Jemima, you know, I don't know why God allows these things to happen. This I do know for sure because he tells us in the Bible that, you know, sometimes he allows suffering to happen to draw us closer to him because more important than our health and our well-being is that we are known and loved and accepted by him. Sometimes he brings suffering into our life to test our faith, to refine it, to strengthen it. Sometimes he allows us to experience suffering so we can appreciate more his suffering for us on the cross, that we can be known by him. You know, sometimes he enables, allows us to suffer so that we can appreciate more the new creation when there's going to be no more cry, no more pain, no more suffering at all. Now, I don't know ultimately, but this I do know. One day, Jemima, he will bring all suffering to an end. Now, at this point, I don't know how much she'd taken on. She, um, she just shut her eyes and went back to sleep. So I just, I hope it helped a bit. But I hope it helps us too. Because what we are seeing here in this passage is Jesus' incomparable power over disease. Just a touch, it's gone. She never suffers again. Jesus does what the doctors can't do, what money can't buy. 12 years of suffering, it is turned around in an instant. Think how hopeless she was, how desperate she was. She was out of options. You are never out of options with Jesus Christ. Are you suffering? Are you feeling helpless? Are you feeling hopeless? Do you worry about debilitating diseases? Do you, you are never out of options with Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and he will one day bring all your suffering to an end. All of it. And you can be sure of it. That's the first thing to see from the passage. Jesus' power over disease. But if that is not impressive enough, this second incident simply takes our breath away. Just two words from the lips of Jesus Christ, Talitha Kum, and this 12-year-old girl who has died is brought immediately back to life. Jesus' power not over just disease, but over death itself. Now, when it comes to the problem of death, I think it's fair to say our culture really struggles with this and what to do with death. And so we avoid talking about it with each other and we try not to think about it ourselves. A lot of you are very young. You think, oh, this is way off in the future, although you look at the news Think about the tragic helicopter crash with Leicester City Chairman. Think about the fires in California at the moment. Think of all the knife crime, the homicides in London already. Death can come upon us quicker than we think. We hope death away, like George Martin, author of Game of Thrones. Not today, please, not today. But of course, one day it will be today for every single one of us. We joke about death. Woody Allen, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Ha ha, let's use humor. And really deep down, we know just how serious it is. We even try to cheat death. 23-year-old Kim Suozzi paid $70,000 to the Alcor Life Extension Foundation to have her head neuro-preserved in the hope that one day science would solve the mystery of death. 
too sure how helpful having a head is without a body, but anyway, $100,000 for the full body um, preservation. She probably didn't have those extra $30,000. Uh, Either way, can we see, we don't have an answer to death. We are struggling with death. What do we do with it? Jesus Christ has an answer. He has two words, Talitha kum. Immediately, she comes back from the dead. Incredible sheer power of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 41 over the page. After Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, that's Peter, James, and John, who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand. Again, do you see the loving, tender touch of Jesus Christ? Takes her by the hand, says to her, Talitha, come, um, Aramaic, for little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up. The sheer power of Jesus Christ to breathe new life into a dead body. And she began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Of course they were completely astonished. They'd never seen anything like this. No one had. Don't think that people back then were gullible to these sort of things. Of course they weren't. They knew full well, just as we do today, that people do not come back from the dead. As I said earlier, Jesus only did this three times across his whole ministry. This was not happening all over the place. They were completely astonished. And Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this because he's not come first and foremost as a miracle worker. He's come as a savior of people's souls and told them to give her something to eat. Which is just another wonderful little detail Mark includes here to show how practical Jesus is. Imagine what this girl's just been through. She's hungry, give her something to eat. But also the sort of detail that you'd remember and recall if this event did really happen. And it did really happen because Jesus has this sort of power over even death itself. And the ultimate proof for us today is Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. A resurrection to eternal life. A resurrection when you will never die again. And a resurrection that he holds out to any one of us who believes in him today. Jesus' power over death itself. Are you fearful of death? Are you fearful of what will happen to you when you die? Jesus says, believe in me, you have nothing to fear. Just think for a moment of the hopelessness of Jairus back in verse 35 when the people first come up to him and tell him that his daughter is dead. I mean, never to see her again, never to hold his daughter in his arms, never to see her grow up. Death is horrific on every level, but there is a reason why people call the loss of your child the ultimate tragedy. It is not meant to be that way. You're not meant to be at your child's funeral. They are meant to outlive you, not the other way around. What Jairus would have given for just five more minutes to tell her how much he loves her, to tell her how much he will miss her, but that moment has gone. It's over now. She is dead. It is hopeless. He's too late. But as we've been seeing in Mark's gospel, 
There is no situation too hopeless for Jesus Christ. And what we're seeing here is that is true even when it comes to death. Don't be afraid. Jesus says to Jairus, just believe. Just believe I have the power over death. Just believe I can bring her back in an instant. Just believe you will hold her in your arms again. The hope Jesus Christ offers us here. As Victor Hugo of Les Miserables author of Le Miserable once put it, for the Christian, the tomb is never a blind alley. It is a thoroughfare. It closes with the twilight to open with the dawn. If you are believing in Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear from what death can ultimately do to you. Jesus' power over disease, Jesus' power over death, Thirdly and finally, how are we to respond to all this? Well, it's there for us in verse 36. We've just seen it. Jesus says to Jairus back then, he says it to us today, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Let your desperation in the face of suffering, in the face of death, drive you to Jesus Christ. Let our hopelessness in the face of death move us away from our trust in power, prestige, money, private healthcare, whatever it is, and trust in the one person who can bring us back from the dead. One of the striking things about this passage is the contrast here between Jairus and the woman. Did you notice that the woman is nameless? Did you notice that the woman is penniless? Did you notice that it is the woman who is the outcast, the one who can only come up to Jesus from behind in the crowd? Her only identification, her shame. And yet she is the one who is held out here as the model of faith. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jairus, on the other hand, oh, we know his name. We know who he is, verse 22. He's one of the synagogue leaders, he's powerful, he's prominent. He can come up to Jesus face to face. Come to my house, heal my daughter. And yet he is no closer to Jesus than this woman. He has no advantage over this woman when it comes to the nature of faith. And is it not the case actually, and the reason why Mark sandwiches her story in the middle of his story, because actually what Jairus needs to do now, and he isn't yet doing, is actually believing in Jesus in just the same way that the woman believes in him. To believe in Jesus no matter how hopeless the situation is. Now, of course, this sort of response is very countercultural, particularly when we're told we need to be strong, we need to be self-sufficient, we mustn't show any weaknesses. Historically, the stiff upper lip in this country, nowadays, the self-help industry, I'm told even Stoicism is making something of a comeback in Silicon Valley, according to a Wired magazine article I read recently. People attracted to the Greek ancient philosophy of modesty and self-sufficiency. There is nothing modest or self-sufficient about this woman here. She knows her need. She recognizes how helpless she is, how hopeless she is. And she will stop at nothing to get to Jesus Christ. 
Will you do the same? Will I do the same? Will we do the same? Will we do it with our money as we've been thinking about in gift day? Jesus has power over everything, power over money. We don't need to be afraid about giving generously to church. Jesus has power over it all. Whatever fear you have as you come to church today, fearful of getting old, fearful of the white hair, fearful of the memory fading, fearful of debilitating diseases, Jesus Christ has power over it all. Over all of our lives, over death itself. But you say, the thing is, you know, we've, I've not had experienced this sort of healing, miraculous healing like the woman did. I've not had my loved ones return to me from the dead. How can I trust that Jesus will really do that for me today? Well, look, we are only in chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel. There are 11 more chapters to come. And by the end of the Gospel, Jesus Christ is nailed to a cross. And he is suffering and he is dying in our place. In our place. He is suffering and dying for you and for me. For our sin, to deal with the fallenness of this world... Jesus did not deserve to die like this, but he chose to die like this. So you and I would know today, matter-of-factly, that he is dying personally for us. So that if we trust in him, we can know for sure that one day we will see him face to face. And God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there really will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You can know this is true for you. He loves you that much. And he says to you right now, don't be afraid. Just believe. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, as ever, for the absolute relevance of your word. As we see here today, Jesus' power <clears throat> over disease, over death, and the way he calls each and every one of us not to be afraid, not to be fearful, but to believe and trust in him. Wherever we're coming from today, please would you move us closer to that reliance and dependence on him. And know that if we are trusting in him and keep believing in him, then there we have nothing to fear from what suffering and death can ultimately do to us. That we will hear those words on that final day, son, daughter, your faith has healed you. Would that encourage us this week as we live for him, and long to share him with others. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.